The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's Monday, November 20th, 2023, as the Major League Baseball offseason activity is picking up. The Chicago White Sox, on my birthday this past Thursday, completed a trade around 11 o'clock at night as they traded Aaron Bummer to the Atlanta Braves. In return, the White Sox got five players and perhaps found two starting pitchers to add to the rotation and their starting second baseman for the 2024 squad. We'll break down that trade for the White Sox. And speaking of trades, man, we didn't think there was much of a chance Dylan Cease could get dealt this offseason. But the likelihood continues to increase as there are reports that the Los Angeles Dodgers are calling. We'll talk about those two trades as far as one that happened and the hypothetical one involving Cease. Aaron Nola returning to Philadelphia and some recent non-tendered players the White Sox should consider going after in free agency. Joining me is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. We get Chris Getz's first big trade. And man, you don't see a lot of five-for-one trades, especially for a left-handed reliever. Yeah, usually the five-for-one trades are involving the best player on the market, like Miguel Cabrera or something like that. So, um, what was it, the Mark Teixeira deal? Something along those lines where it's just premium free agent. Uh, Zach Greinke would have been another one, I think. Uh, something similar along those lines when he was at the top of the market. So, yeah, usually see it for something like that versus a left-handed reliever coming off a bad year, which Aaron Bummer was. So, Yeah, it's basically like the biggest buy low trade I can think of where you're buying low on Aaron Bummer and then you're buying low on four of the five prospects that the, or not prospects, but players the Braves sent in return and the other one is just drafted and old for the level and doing okay so far, but also just so far away, Libertyville native U of I guy, the White Sox might've known him coming up and were just kind of interested in him all along. And this is a way for them to, I guess, indulge that curiosity, but otherwise with the players who are 
near the majors or in the majors, it's all kind of like a big ball of meh. Yeah, the White Sox, again, acquiring right-handed pitcher Mike Soroka, who was excellent until he suffered a couple of Achilles injuries, much like Jake Berger did, and it's really thrown his career off. Uh, as far as the, the track that he was on, he was a top 10 Cy Young finalist just a few years ago. Left-handed pitcher Jared Schuster, let's call him a super utility type of player, but I think he's going to be the White Sox starting second baseman. Former Kansas City Royal and Naperville resident Nicky Lopez, AAA shortstop Braden Shoemake, and as Jim mentioned, the 24-year-old reliever is Riley Goins, who is a nearby product as well for the Chicago White Sox. So those are the five players. And as I mentioned in the intro, the White Sox may have acquired two starting pitchers to fill out the rotation, which we know that's on the shopping list that they have to do. And they have to find middle infield help because we are expecting neither Tim Anderson nor Elvis Andrews is returning to the White Sox. And there's just not a lot of confidence in having Zach Remillard or Lenin Sosa or Romy Gonzalez to be considered starters in those positions. And of course there's the whole outfield situation that needs to be addressed. And maybe that's why the conversations with the Dodgers make sense. So we'll talk about that possibility later, but with what the White Sox have received, there was a lot of positive reaction to this trade. I like this trade, Jim, from a White Sox mm -hmm. point of view, because Everybody knows what Aaron Bummer can do and what he needs to do to be considered, quote-unquote, good. This is a left-handed pitcher that has two premium pitches that generates a lot of ground balls. And a big positive for Aaron Bummer is batters have a terrible time barreling him up. And you look at his career slugging numbers against and you see it's well below 400 and there are some seasons opposing batters have trouble slugging above 300 against Aaron bummer. And you may think, wow, that is a premium reliever and he's getting paid to be a premium mid leverage middle innings reliever, major league baseball. He's going to make five and a half million dollars. The problem with Aaron bummer of the white Sox is that it was a terrible pairing. Again, the White Sox had the worst defense in Major League Baseball. So when you have a ground ball pitcher paired with the worst middle infield defense in baseball and the worst overall defense, you can't take advantage of that. And the walk rate has often been tossed around that Aaron Bummer, because of his ERA and FIP difference, that he's considered one of the unluckiest pitchers in baseball. Well, Aaron Bummer walked righties more than 14% of the time last year, and he walked lefties more than 12% of the time. Mm -hmm. So despite really low batting average against and a low slugging percentage against, opposing batters were getting on base better than 36% of the time. And Aaron Bummer's left on base rate was hovering around 50% last year, Jim. So while, mm -hmm. yes, Aaron Bummer could be considered unlucky during his time with the White Sox, because of his lack of command and his high walk rate, he created some bad luck for himself. And when you are pairing that up with a terrible infield defense for the White Sox, it just created some nightmare scenarios, some really messy situations. 
I fully expect Aaron Bummer to have a sub-3 ERA with the Atlanta Braves. I fully expect him to be great for Atlanta because those issues, especially the defensive end, I think go away pitching for the Atlanta Braves. He just needs to work on his walk rate and live more in the strike zone. So I think Atlanta is getting a good middle of the type of game reliever, pitch him in the sixth and seventh inning. But for the White Sox in 2024, I just don't see much of a use for having Aaron Bummer on the team, Jim. So that's why I like this trade. Well, the other thing, the other reason why Bummer wasn't necessarily unlucky or he made his own bad luck, like you said, terrible at holding runners, 17 for 18 against them, stealing bases, huge jumps against them going first to second or second to third. So when it comes to his strand rate, his inability to uh, hold runners or get double plays the way you think he might with the ground balls he gets, like, the reason why is they're running wild on him, you know, in motion, sometimes in motion when the ball's in play. So there's a lot for him to clean up. Uh, a more minor thing is that he's, you know, every other year he's dealt with an injury that's cost him some time. Um, nothing chronic or nothing terribly structural to where like he's a ticking time bomb. But in 2020, he had the bicep issue in 2022. He had the lat issue, both cost him out half his availability. So there's that as well. He doesn't have like a track record of being an Iron Man, even if I don't expect him to be like uh, a candidate to miss a huge amount of time, but it's happened before. So it could happen again. So when you throw in the lack of durability and just all the ways he's, you know, has these weaknesses, these flaws that can be exploited pretty easily by either, you know, teams that are fast or run or just a little bit savvy. Like, you know, he requires some work. He requires some maintenance to keep uh, functional or keep uh, functional to an above average degree to what the White Sox are paying him, to what those team options will be worth if they're exercised. So I can see the Braves, you know, making pretty easy work of getting him back to being like an average reliever. But when it comes to him being like, one of the best relievers, like another Zach Britton, when Britton was at the peak of his game, mm -hmm. it's going to require a little bit more. And perhaps the Braves are better at coaching that than the White Sox are. You know, it definitely wouldn't surprise me. Um, also, I think we'll learn a little bit about like, you know, Ethan Katz, given that the White Sox had walk rate issues up and down uh, the pitching staff. You know, if the Braves make an easy tweak and Bummer knocks down that walk rate to single digits and you comfortably single digits, then I think you know, you might have to look at Aaron uh, Ethan Katz, I should say, and say, uh, you know, what's his deal? You know, what has he been doing to help, or right. why couldn't he have, he figured that out? But you know, with if he stayed with the White Sox and the White Sox tried to get him to be somebody who could be traded to the deadline, maybe he bounces back. But also, just maybe it's more of the same where they don't have the defense and he they don't have the runners or they're going with rookie catchers and the catchers can't help them out when it comes to like signaling pickoffs or, Hey, you're not paying attention to this guy. So he is a little bit of a mess all the way around. So, and, and the white Sox are going to be a mess. And I don't think a mess helps a mess. So cutting one of them off <laughs> probably agree. helps things. And, you know, I think you could look at it the same way from the Braves, to the white Sox, and say like Jared Schuster buying him low, like, if they tidy him up a little bit and get him back to being like uh, number four with that changeup he has and just getting enough on his fastball to make that changeup play up, maybe the Braves will say, yeah, I knew he's better than what he showed with us. And just, you know, we didn't have the time to give him to, uh, you know, get all the way back on track. So that, that's what you get with a buy low trade is all these ways guys can theoretically improve. And then the work is actually the hard part.
Yeah, you, you bring up a good point. So we know what the Atlanta Braves are getting in Aaron Bummer. And for Braves fans, I I guess it sounds like I'm a little bit more optimistic than Jim. I think Aaron Bummer is going to be great for you guys because of what you have in place. Yes, the Braves still need to address shortstop. But to Jim's point, just be prepared. Aaron Bummer could not be available for a month because of XYZ reason injury. And you may see some innings where he walks the leadoff hitter. They steal second. He throws a pitch in the dirt. They move to third base. Weak grounder to Ozzie Albies. The runner scores. And it's just one out. And the ball wasn't even hit out of the infield. You will see those types of innings from Aaron Bummer. And you will pull your hair out because it's like the other 10 times may go clean. And you're wondering to yourself, wow, this guy is fantastic. Maybe... He should be a closer one day, and then you'll see those innings and be like, oh, no, you can't. You can't have that. You can't have that in big games. You can't have that in the postseason, and the Atlanta Braves are going to be there. I mean, they're still going to be fantastic going to 2024. So, uh, again, I, I think Aaron Bummer is going to have a very good season for the Atlanta Braves. Now, what are the White Sox getting? So, immediately, I, I think the positive reaction for me, again, was – I think this is the best you can do trading Aaron Bummer. So bravo, Chris Getz. But what do the White Sox actually have on hand here? There's a lot of optimism and let's call it positive energy about Mike Soroka. He is a gigantic red flag for the White Sox. And where we saw like one of our best friends of the show, Dan Zaborski of Fangraphs tweet, you know, for all those that are happy about this trade from a White Sox perspective, I would love to trade you know, a five and four ones for a crumpled wet $20 bill. Now, I don't like that analogy because I don't think Aaron Bummer's a $20 bill. I think Aaron Bummer's a $5 bill. And it would, the trade is here are five $1 scratch off tickets in exchange for $5 in cash. I know what Aaron Bummer is. He's the $5 bill. What I don't know are these lottery scratch offs. The White Sox may have nothing on hand. They may all be losers or they may luck out, get a couple bucks from one, maybe a dollar from another. Shoot, they may win 10 bucks out of one of them. And you're just thrilled with this type of trade. And I feel like Mike Soroka is one of those. It's either going to be a loser or you're going to win 10 bucks because since 2020, because of all the injuries Soroka has dealt with, Jim. He has pitched only 32 innings in the majors, and that was last year, and that was a 6.40 ERA in seven games that he appeared in, and he appeared in five starts with a 1.48 whip, and he only had 29 strikeouts in those 32 innings, and everyone's penciling him in into the starting rotation. I don't know if that is a smart idea. Like, this is where... I would still want Chris Getz and the White Sox front office to acquire a couple more starting pitchers. So it forces Soroka to force the issue in spring training, or at least the first month in triple a, because there's so much rust to break off for him because of all the injuries he's dealt with. Like I feel like he's the biggest red flag right now with the White Sox acquired. Just because of the injuries. Yeah. I think in some ways he might be, um, you know, one of the things that's best for the White Sox in terms of like personalities, you know, reading about them, everybody loves the competitiveness he brings to the field, uh, very popular with fans. So in terms of like uh, 
somebody who might be able to either connect with the fan base or be able to be somebody who like visibly reflects something that the White Sox hadn't had before with either pitching staff or just the, you know, intangibles, you could say like, maybe he's somebody who's like, you know, more of a, add those in more of a yellow flag. And I think when it comes to like what the White Sox got from this whole thing, it feels like there is a holistic type uh, result that could happen with um, what the White Sox got. Just turning over so many roster spots, creating competition. I like how Chris mm-hmm. Getz phrased the additions of Sorokin and Schuster saying, uh, these guys are coming in competing for roster spots. We expect one of them to be in the rotation. Like that sounds like a fair way to put it, not putting too much yes. pressure on Soroka. You can maybe guess which one might be the one based on if healthy, but he didn't specify Soroka and maybe Schuster will be up as well. So I like the lack of pressure he put on him, but I think, you know, Soroka seems like based on everything red, like, you know, he's been as frustrated as anybody. I, I think we saw with Jake Berger, the amount of dedication it takes to come back from a pair of ruptured Achilles. And um, so you have to understand like the uh, drive that that reflects. So I buy that to, to a, a large degree. Uh, what he brings is just more a matter of like, you know, you have to be on the field for that competitiveness to actually, um, you know, pay off in the long run. But I think going into spring training, I think he helps accomplish what the White Sox needed in terms of new blood and just more of a sense of competition, open-endedness, proving it, uh, guys coming from different organizations, and the Braves obviously a very successful one, and maybe just showing something that people who have been with the White Sox all along haven't seen. So that's, I think, why I'm optimistic for Soroka, not because of he'll be good enough to get something really good at the trade deadline or be a pitcher worth extending, but just somebody who gives various aspects of White Sox spring training a new look and somebody who, if he's able to be on the field, seems like he'll be pretty easy for White Sox fans to root for. And God knows the White Sox need anybody who fans feel like they give any kind of crap about I should say just you know not that you know White Sox are you know most of the rosters get bad I think just fans are indifferent at best to most of the roster and they just need somebody who galvanizes even the rotation just a little bit yeah in spring training with Soroka now into the fold I just it's so much pressure if you're someone's like oh Josh you're crazy I would put him in the starting rotation talent wise Absolutely. But you put them in the starting rotation, there comes an expectation, the pressure of, all right, Mike, we need 150 innings. And Mm -hmm. he hasn't done that since 2019. Now, 2019 was awesome for him. He went 13 and four, sub three ERA, he went 2.68 ERA in 29 starts. He pitched 174 innings. I mean, if he did that for the White Sox, (laughs) heck yeah. You know, everyone Mm -hmm. would want that. I just, I don't want to put unrealistic expectations on Mike Soroka. I'm I'm right now wait and see and how he looks in February in Glendale and fastball velocity looks good. He looks strong. He feels strong. He says that he's strong. You know, you're going to have this kind of four-way competition. I don't know how much of a competition it is, but let's say it's only one between Soroka, Jared Schuster, Jake Eater, and Nick Nestrini. Okay, 
to your point, it makes spring training a lot more interesting, something to actually watch with these four. And I'm sure you're going to see all four make starts for the White Sox in 2024. But that's why I compare Soroka to the $1 lottery ticket. It might be a loser. Or, cha-ching, you hit 10 bucks. And he bounces back and maybe he replaces the production level. I know a lot of people want to forget him, but maybe he replaces the production level of Mike Clevenger and he shocks everyone and becomes a two war type of starting pitcher. Because as we all know, that's exactly what the White Sox need. If they decide to hold on to Dylan Cease, they need to build around Cease for this starting rotation. Yeah, I think that's a fair way to put it. Um, you know, just with scratchers, like it's always better when somebody else buys them for you. And it's just like, oh, here's something to keep me busy for 15 seconds versus like and buying them yourself and be like, come on, this is, has to be the one. Right. And Atlanta did that. In mm-hmm. this situation for the White Sox, they did. They they wanted Aaron Bummer. They gave you five bucks. And, you know, Jared Schuster, we'll see. He made 11 starts. I'm a little bit more confident that maybe he could be part of the rotation opening day than Mike Soroka, just as far as durability reasons. Uh, Schuster's only 25. Soroka is 26. Nicky Lopez, I am the most confident, will be on the opening day roster for the Chicago White Sox, and he will be in the lineup I think this is the White Sox answer at second base. Do I like this as the answer for the White Sox at second base? Eh, but with what Pedro Grafal likes, what Chris Getz and Josh Barfield have talked about, aiming for more athleticism from their position players, those that are plus defenders, Nicky Lopez fits the bill. There's no pop in his bat whatsoever, so he should probably bat ninth. But mm-hmm. let him take his glove, go out to second base. Don't have to worry about him defensively. He can cover that position. So I do think the White Sox found their starting second baseman in 2024, and it'll be Nicky Lopez. Yeah, I like that move, and I don't like it. The reason I like it is, well, I'll, I'll sort of don't like it, so I end on a higher note. I don't like it because of the X-Royals factor and beyond like the easy jokes of ha ha ha, they're building uh, Kaufman East. It's more a matter of just Pedro Griffol's problem of managing veterans. And I don't think the answer is giving him veterans that he's less afraid of or more comfortable with uh, to uh, bridge the gap. Like I want him to, you know, uh, do it the hard way. Like just, you know, be a professional big league manager and, and make veterans upset and not slag them after the season's over by saying, Oh, our game planning was very poor all season when, you know, it was just, uh, you didn't mention that at all during the year when it could have made a difference. So, uh, that's why that, you know, beyond the, uh, Royals not being anything to emulate. That's why specifically I'm not a fan of Lopez. Also like it breaks my heart a little bit to see Nikki Lopez come aboard after Jason Benetti, was let go. It's almost like Brooks Boyer pulled the trigger just to twist a knife in fans because Benetti would have got a lot of mileage out of the local product and saying Naperville. And did you know he's from Naperville and Steve Stone playing along and Steve Stone egging him on back and forth? Because whenever I think Nikki Lopez, I think local product. And now uh, you kind of lose that joke. Like anybody who plays that joke or, or plays that joke in terms of like, you know, leaning into it the way Benetti did is just kind of playing from the Benetti. Uh, soundboard and Benetti shouldn't have, he's too young to have a soundboard. Like Hawk could have a soundboard. Uh, Benetti still should have been around. So there's that reason I like it 
is because Chris Getz wanted to say or wanted to improve the defense. That's what he said. He said that uh, you know they'd really they want to stress being able to turn routine or or even like medium batted balls into outs and to make it a place where pitchers want to pitch. And this accomplishes that. So, you know, it also accomplishes Getz's uh, caveat of saying, like, we might have to take an offensive step back at a position in order to achieve better defense. But at least he stated a goal, and this should achieve that goal. Like, on paper, it does. The metrics all agree. Reading the Braves' blogs and writing, uh, I think the only player that Braves fans were going to maybe miss was Lopez just because they liked the glove. They thought he was very valuable in a bench role, uh, especially when they're kind of going through that revolving door of shortstops. Like whether they give one of their younger shortstops, like a Von Grissom more time to develop, like having Lopez there as somebody who could fill in on a day off for Grissom, or uh, if they pinch hit for him, having Lopez to plug in and know they're getting good defense. Uh, So that was encouraging seeing like on both sides of second base, seeing that Lopez can cut it and be somebody you like seeing out there, not just as passable, can help you uh, cross a day off the calendar playing shortstop, but actually like, hey, I like that glove. And uh, even if he's not hitting, you know he's going to give a fine effort behind the pitchers. And if uh, the White Sox pitchers are going to need a lot of help, he should provide that help. So I like seeing Getz state a goal and seem to achieve it, which as we saw with the White Sox year after year with right field and second base and DH, like Rick Kahn was great at stating weaknesses and what things you want to do better and then couldn't do. So maybe Getz was setting a low bar, but so far he's cleared it. Now we'll see like whether he adds anybody else and whether he, uh, you know, figures out like a playing time mix. If there is like a Lenin Sosa to give reps to, if he really looks like he's worth one more, good extended look, but at least he's somebody you need a fallback plan. He's a plus defender who knows how to do it at major league game speed. And Brandon Shoemaker's triple A depth. I, in my 26 man roster, I tweeted out. Yeah. He'd be the starting shortstop right now because with what the white Sox have on hand, Lenin Sosa, Zach Remillard, Brandon Shoemaker, uh, I guess give Shoemaker that opportunity. But right now the white Sox still, I don't think have, a starting shortstop, but after this trade, let's say you have Soroka and you have Schuster in the rotation because they still need to find three starting pitchers. I have Nestrini also part of the starting rotation. Nicky Lopez as the starting second baseman, his projected arb total, according to the MLB trade rumors, is $3.9 million. Soroka's projected arbitration number is $3 million, and Schuster's still on a rookie contract. The 26-man roster right now for the White Sox, if you had to plug and play with what they have on the 40-man roster, is around $118 million. So I still think even if they do reduce payroll to like $150, $160 million, you still have some spare cash to go and find your starting pitchers. I would like them to go find a veteran shortstop. Maybe they could accomplish those with another trade which we'll talk about after a quick word from our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. All right, so we talked about what happened for the White Sox. Let's talk about the hypothetical, the rumor trade involving Dylan Cease again. I feel like a couple of weeks ago, it was kind of a toss-away segment that we did on the podcast. Maybe this is a possibility before the off-season plan projects. Maybe we'll see plans of people coming up with trade ideas for Dylan Cease. At the time, we just thought with Brian Bannister in the fold, maybe Bannister wanted to see what he could do working with Dylan Cease. And Maybe wait until the trade deadline to move Dylan Cease, much like the Cincinnati did, Reds did with Luis Castillo to Seattle and got in a pretty impressive haul. However, with each passing week, Jim, I went from I'm 99% sure Dylan Cease is the opening day starter down to 75% sure he's the opening day starter. I'm at a 50%, Jim. I'm at a coin flip whether or not Dylan Cease is with the White Sox. By winter meetings, like we're going to be there in Nashville is a, let's just start there. Do you think mm-hmm. a Dylan Cease trade is happening before we meet up in Nashville for the winter meetings? Now that we've seen what the starting pitching prices might be for the open market, we saw Aaron Nola sign with the Phillies and he's uh, a good market setter i think for both above and right below him like that perhaps you know like a team like the orioles orioles we've talked about being a team that really could use just a good frontline starter 30 starts 180 innings uh they haven't wanted to pay that top dollar they're content with going for like one-year contracts and three-year contracts filling in with guys from their minor leagues and they had good success doing that last year but uh, saw some limitations in that, uh, have some prospects coming up, but do they really want that one linchpin of the rotation? Uh, having seen the prices that uh, Nola might command or help command for the other pitchers in the market, uh, perhaps uh, they're a type of team that would say like, hey, we have more prospects than we know what to do with. We have 40-man crunch uh, that we're negotiating here a little bit, guys that we can't play. So maybe it is time to give the White Sox a call about Dylan Cease and see what's going on. Same thing with the other team that uh, popped up in uh, trade talks with uh, via Bob Nightingale. Uh, 
a team that might be trying to line up all its financial ducks to get uh, Shohei Otani. All of a sudden, Dylan Cease at his ARB figure for the next two years might be very appealing to help standard luxury tax numbers. So that's why I think uh, with the White Sox basically conceding that uh, Chris Getz will not be able to shape a contender in 2024, which was the unknown uh, balancing Jerry Reinsdorf's rhetoric with the reality of just this team is a mess. Uh, now we're seeing that the mess is winning out. And now I think it's easier to see the White Sox letting go of Dylan Cease and uh, not really fooling anybody or not upsetting anybody more than they're already upset. Like maybe Jason Benetti being gone, breaking the camel's back when it came to so many fans just being like, I'm out. Uh, maybe that gives them the license. Maybe Jason Benny is the reason why Dylan Cease might be traded sooner rather than later. Hmm. I didn't make that connection. So you shouldn't. It's it's uh, very uh, just uh, <laughs> uh, conspiratorial, but just uh, that's kind of how I'm thinking. It's like there's really nothing left to lose, whether you include Benetti or not. So are you sidestepping my question, Jim? Do you, do you think you will have to write about? Do you think we're gonna have to do an emergency podcast before we meet up in Nashville? regarding Dylan Cease being traded. Seems like we could now that we have a price. So I would say like if I had to bet gun to my head, I'd say, why are you putting my a gun to my head over that? That's ridiculous. Please seek some help. We can get through this. Uh, but I guess I would say yes, just because Nola signed faster than I thought. Like I thought it might be like a bottom-up type market yeah. forming or it might be a, uh, um, you know, wait for Blake Snell to find his Cy Young uh a place to put his Cy Young trophy. And with Nola signing, there's room above him, room below him for there to be a run on pitchers and Cease could get swept up in that run. So I will say uh, yes before the winter meetings. Yeah. I mean, again, if you missed the news because of football on Sunday, Aaron Nola re-signed with the Philadelphia Phillies is for seven years, more than $170 million. He flew into Philadelphia Sunday night to take his physical. So as soon as he passes his physical, which Disclaimer, we should take that more seriously. It is not a for sure thing after we learned last year in free agency mm -hmm. uh, with physicals. But if Nola does pass the physical, there is a scheduled press conference to announce the signing Monday in Philadelphia. So everyone is moving very quickly. And you mentioned Blake Snell winning the National League Cy Young. Seven years, more than $170 million. Thank you, Aaron. You have increased my price. My asking right now is seven years and more than $23 million a season. Let's see who's willing to meet that. Uh, and then we'll see maybe if Jordan Montgomery could for sure get five years, maybe six years. So Aaron Nola did a big favor for the starting pitching market. And what's crazy is that you have reporters in Philadelphia and in Atlanta reporting Nola left money on the table. The Atlanta Braves offered more money than the Philadelphia Phillies did. So the Braves, Zach Wheelard. the Braves try to take, try to steal Nola from Philadelphia, which hey, I, I don't blame Atlanta for doing. I mean, Hey, they, they just traded five guys off their 40 man roster. And uh, mm -hmm. Ken Rosenthal, the athletic will talk more about this report later, but Rosenthal made a really good point. Like the 40 man roster for the Braves right now is like 30 guys. They have so many spots open on their 40 man roster. Now the entire industry is thinking, what is Atlanta up to? Are they going to be the biggest spenders this upcoming free agency? 
that wouldn't be shocking. I mean, they just won a hundred plus games. Who doesn't want to play for the Atlanta Braves? Um, but I didn't know if they were to be like breaking the bank this off season. They really could. I mean, if they were offering that type of money to Arenola, let's see if they pivot elsewhere. But back to Dylan Cease, I think you're right, Jim. I mean, if it's going to take seven years to sign Aaron, the Aaron Nolas and the Blake Snells, if it takes five or six years to sign Jordan Montgomery and their Shohei Otani, the Dodgers are kind of like the White Sox in which they have multiple spots in their starting rotation that they have to fill. Walker Bueller comes back. We'll see where he's at uh, recovering from Tommy John. They have young, exciting starting pitching talent that we saw this year help them win the National League West. But when it came to the postseason, they just looked like fish out of the water, like they were not ready for the big moment. And it really seems like the Dodgers are aiming to rebuild their starting rotation. And speaking to a source who knows the Dodgers well, I asked him about, is this real? And the interest is real from Los Angeles considering Dylan Cease. However, what the Dodgers are doing is that they are on the phone with Milwaukee for Corbin Burns and on the phone with Tampa Bay for Tyler Glasnow at the same time. So it's like the Dodgers are trying to leverage these three teams on a particular trade package to acquire either Burns, Glasnow, or Cease. I'm pretty confident the Dodgers are going to get one of those three. Another name they dropped on me, and we'll consider this a rumor, the Dodgers are in talks with Lucas Giolito, evidently. Old friend Lucas Giolito. So it's kind of like a little bit of a shotgun blast right now for the Dodgers. We know that they're very interested in Shohei Otani. We both think the Dodgers are going to sign Otani. But it is a clear Mm -hmm. need for the Dodgers that they want to add starting pitchers. And if the Brewers are asking too much for Corbin Burns, if the Rays are asking too much for Tyler Glass now, it's really up to the White Sox to decide and what is a good fit for them as far as return for Dylan Cease. There's a lot of White Sox fans that have been asking about outfielder James Outman, and I think Outman fits perfectly with what Josh Barfield and Chris Getz are looking for. A good base runner, very athletic, plus defender. He did hit for the Dodgers last year. So he checks off a lot of the boxes. And if the Dodgers are willing to offer James Outman and a couple other mid to low level prospects, is that enough to entice to get Dylan Cease away from the White Sox? We'll see. But I think I'm with you as well. I've got a feeling because so many teams are in need of elite starting pitching. Dylan Cease, I'll say it. I think Dylan Cease gets dealt before we meet up in Nashville. So that's like in two weeks, suddenly in two weeks, I went from Dylan Cease starting opening day and getting traded the deadline two weeks later to now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think Dylan Cease is going to get traded before I arrive in Nashville where you pick me up at the airport. Like I, so much has changed in the month in this market. And I don't know if this is a good idea or a bad idea. Again, it largely depends on the return. But if you get another outfielder, if you can get another starting pitcher to help out, I think by trading Cease, nobody's fooled anymore, to your point. The White Sox are clearly retooling, rebuilding, re-whatever you want to use in 2024. Nobody has to pretend this team is contending this season. And it's a focus on trying to acquire as much young talent that could help in 2025 and beyond. 
Yeah, with the Dodgers, they, you know, we've talked about it before when trying to figure out at the deadline which teams made sense for the White Sox to engage with. And uh, just having seen some of their deals elsewhere, like the Mookie Betts trade not being a, a huge win for Boston, or, you know, Alex Verdugo's fine, but, you know, nothing else really supplementing Verdugo's uh, decent left field play. Um, the Nats are starting to get something out of Cabert Ruiz and Josiah Gray, but that took a while. Those were like hard won uh, developmental years that uh, it took. So, um, you know, not yet an instant success, but at least they're kind of trending towards adequate. But uh, so that that's what kind of makes me nervous about like what the Dodgers have had and what they've dealt, knowing who to deal when they are willing to give up a guy. Yeah. So that's what makes me apprehensive. But when you look at like the depth that they have and, the way they've, you know, it reminds me a little bit of like going back to the White Sox trading Daniel Hudson for Edwin Jackson and like remembering at the time, like Hudson should be a good pitcher, but like the White Sox need to win games. They're in contention and like Edwin Jackson knows what he's doing. So that's why they're going with this trade and Hudson ends up figuring it out for a little while with Diamondbacks before injury set in. And I have that same feeling with like a couple of these guys, like Michael Grove or Gavin Stone, like, uh, thrown into like a Dodgers rotation that's, you know, currently dealing with injuries. And then like the, uh, you know, Urias thing being uh, really a terrible um, yeah. development and being like, okay, you got to step in and solve these problems. And then just not quite being able to do it. Uh, there is a, you know, the White Sox have low pressure innings to give to pitchers like these to figure out. So that's why, like when it comes to trying to sell, like trying to trade Luis Robert at the top of his game, Dodgers scare me, but Dylan Cease, who's a little bit, uh, you know, dinged up last year when it came to just uh, the, you know, no longer being unhittable with the slider, like not having a harder time getting through six innings. Like I think the price has come down enough to where like, I think the Dodgers have some, you know, a, a number of guys who would fit well in this, uh, you know, any trade package like Michael Bush would be another one like second base. The White Sox have time to give to a second base slash outfielder who might be able to bring some plate discipline to the team. If he can figure out that jump from triple a to the major. So they have opportunities. And I think like, you know, if they can get a four package, four player package from the Dodgers for him or three to four, uh, it'd be a good way to use those innings and at bats that they have in, in really high supply. Yeah, because if internally they've decided we're not going to win in 2024 and the we being the White Sox, like the only reason we could fake attend is because the Central is going to be bad and nobody is doing much in this division. The Twins are cutting payroll. If they know that this is going to be like a reload year, then Dylan C doesn't help you that much other than you maybe can get a haul midseason. But you do carry quite a bit of risk there. And we've talked about it during the rebuilding years for the White Sox. What if Cease gets hurt in the first half? Like, he's not pitching right now. That doesn't mean he can't hurt himself. Fluke injury, warming up. I don't even think that they're even throwing right now. They may not Jumping start off throwing. a truck. Jumping off a truck, yeah, breaking your foot. Uh, <laughs> heard that one before. You don't have that injury risk at, that moment, at this moment. So... You always have to consider and weigh everything, but if the Aaron Nolas of this free agency class are signing for seven years and the Dodgers are suddenly shy about signing someone like Blake Snell for seven years and they pivot 
I think they're going to land one of those three Burns, Glass now and Cease. Maybe ends up being Cease, but if the Dodgers don't acquire Cease, I have to imagine a team like the Cincinnati Reds or the Baltimore Orioles. Like that price point fits way closer to their level of spending. And it allows those teams that are hoping and should be playoff contenders in 2024 adding another lead arm to their starting rotation. So even if it doesn't happen with the Dodgers and there's nothing to suggest that anything is close right now between the Dodgers and White Sox, we know that they're just having conversations about that possibility. Even if it's not the Dodgers, I still think in the next two weeks, he gets dealt and I guess we'll have to wait and see where he goes. I don't know. Is there a preference other than the Dodgers, Jim? Is there a preference and who you would like the White Sox to take prospects from? Yeah, Orioles, I think, are the other easy one just of you know, having backup shortstops. Like shortstops they're not going to use. In third baseman, they're not going to use if the White Sox are looking beyond, yeah. uh, you know, uh, Yohan Moncada and looking for like uh, – Brian Ramos, like, you know, insurance against him or like being able to move somebody to second base or outfield, like having those middle infielders that can move around. I think it would be uh, Baltimore would be the team you'd look at. So that is the Dylan C's trade rumor. And then late, late last week, you had the non-tender deadline. That's why the White Sox Braves had that big trade. And the following day on Friday was the non-tender deadline and really big news. The Milwaukee Brewers. Brandon Woodruff, been a terrific starting pitcher for them over the years, especially great one-two combo with Corbin Burns. He's going to miss most of 2024 due to shoulder surgery and the Milwaukee Brewers non-tendered Woodruff. There's a lot of conversation up in Milwaukee about financial strain right now, how many resources they could have available Maybe they think about trading Willie Adamas, which if the White Sox were in a contention mode, which I don't think that they are, that would have been a great fix at shortstop for the White Sox for at least a year as Adamas has one year left on his contract. But with, there's 63 players that were non-tendered on Friday. And Brandon Woodruff is like the one that caught my attention the most for the White Sox because this is obviously not a play for 2024. This is a play for 2025 and going back to that Ken Rosenthal report in the athletic Rosenthal wrote about the situation. And what it seems like from Woodruff's camp is that they were hoping to get like a $30 million contract per year. So did Aaron Nola, but Nola exchanged that 30 million AV for seven years. So obviously things can change, but now with Woodruff having this injury, there are MLB executives already texting, communicating with Woodruff's agent about what would it take to get Woodruff on in the fold. And this is what I'm wondering, like from White Sox perspective, this makes sense to take on this type of risk because you're going to need a rotation in 2025. And if you decide to continue to hold on to Luis Robert, you need to build around him. And I'm wondering if like a, a two-year contract, like two years, $22 million, in which you pay Woodruff $2 million this year and then pay him $20 million for 2025 with some type of mutual option for the 2026 season. If that is something that both the White Sox and Woodruff would entertain, Jim, because no matter the situation and just the unknown of him bouncing back from this type of shoulder injury, I think he's going to need a pillow contract. 
and the White Sox are still going to have need for starting pitchers in 2025. I think this could be a good target for the White Sox as like a sign and stash, if that makes sense. It makes sense. I just wonder if that makes sense for so many other teams that the White Sox would run out of reasons to be to sell Woodruff on coming to the White Sox. Like, given that every team by the you know second half is starting their twelfth pitcher or their thirteenth starter yeah. of a season, uh, whether it's openers or guys actually trying to go five innings, like it seems like every team could use Woodruff on that arrangement. So. That's why, like, even if the White Sox should be interested, I think basically every other team should. And, you know, when it comes to shoulder capsule surgeries, like I always think of John Danks, yeah. like it, it's, it's hard. Like it's, it's a hard injury to come back from. So that's why, like, I'm not like pounding the table. Like the White Sox need to make this happen because it's tough. Uh, you know, more so than like if we're blowing out an elbow or something like that, because that's typically a more predictable uh, path to recovery, even if it's not always smooth. Um, that, that's why I'm just, you know, it makes sense. I would like the whites see the White Sox pursue them. I'd be like upset if like 20 teams checking on Woodruff and the White Sox are not one of them. But I wonder if just the White Sox will have enough reason or like, um, yeah, I guess have enough to offer him besides money. And even if it comes, when it comes to money, like I imagine other teams will be able to offer him the same kind of pillow contract, even like a, a softer, more feather-filled pillow contract, however you want to stretch that metaphor, uh, just to make it happen because, like, it's cheaper than committing to Aaron Nola for seven years, and you get that same kind of boost in 2025 if everything goes well. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. I, I still think the White Sox should be involved, but the way that I set up my contract, if the White Sox can do it, so can every MLB team. It'd be interesting to see what Brandon Woodruff does. Maybe he just sits and waits until he's healthier. Maybe has a bullpen session, invites a bunch of teams to watch him and see if that bullpen session goes well enough that signs a, a better deal. But no matter what, I think Woodruff's going to need like a, some type of pillow contract, a, a prove it type of season that he can still make at least 25 starts in a year and continue to throw as well as he did with the Milwaukee Brewers. Cause he was really setting himself up for a big payday and, Unfortunately, the timing of the shoulder injury has really impacted that, and now he's a free agent after the Milwaukee Brewers non-tendered him. Things are not going well in Milwaukee. I mean, they're not going well for White Sox fans, but Milwaukee Brewers this offseason, the, the fan base, losing Craig Council to the Chicago Cubs, all they're hearing is the same thing the White Sox fans are hearing about trade rumors involving their top pitcher, Corbin Burns. They just non-tendered Brandon Woodruff. Like Things are not going great right now in Milwaukee. A lot of uncertainty for the Brewers this upcoming season. With that said, looking at the other 62 players that were not tendered along with Brandon Woodruff, is there anyone that jumps off the page or caught your attention as maybe a possible target for the White Sox? There are a few catchers out there. Andrew Kisner, uh, Austin Nola, uh, Jacob Stallings. Like if the White Sox are looking for veterans to run alongside either Corey Lee or Carlos uh, Perez, they would be options, not exciting ones. They're non-tendered for a reason, obviously, but like I think of James McCann, like he was non-tendered. That's how the White Sox got him. And, you know, they were able to get a couple of extra years use out of him before he turned into a pumpkin when the Mets signed him. So they're always, you know, when you ever bring in like a, a, a catcher like that, who you're only expecting to play, 
60, 70 games. Like sometimes you can get a good 60, 70 games out of that guy and, you know, turn him into more. So that's why I think catchers should be an area of interest for the White Sox. Uh, there are a couple guys like I'm thinking like uh, Dakota Hudson, if you want to pair him with Mike Soroka to uh, to get guys who were last good in 2019, uh, that that could be a theme there. Uh, but, you know, Hudson and Spencer Turnbull, like ground ballers who just, you know, weren't able to recover all the way from Tommy John surgery. If you think there's, you know, just one more year of proper rehab and off season, get and get them there. Then that gives Nikki Lopez something to do in terms of some ground balls to pick up around the infield. So there might be a potential fit there to add to the uh, rotation competition. Uh, but yeah, otherwise outfielders is the other area of uh, need, but Kyle Lewis is there and he's kind of a mess and I think he's he's 30 at this point around there. So like he's not even really offer like upside of youth. So yeah, not a lot of outfielders out there. I think that kind of speaks to just every team looking to uh, hold on to any promising outfielder that's out there uh, if, if they can, uh, because even like paying them, you know, and I would say like seven figures to try to get to two wins above replacement. They'll take that if they can hit righties well enough or hit lefties well enough, do something well enough to be a part of pl platoon. So all these outfielders who are out there really not doing that. And I don't see much help there. Yeah. I had Dakota Hudson on my list because I think he can eat innings or at least help the white Sox do that. But his strikeout to walk ratio way too narrow. I mean, he's striking out, his K per nine last year was like five. <laughs> yeah. He's like, he, he's like out of like 19, like 64 when it comes to just, uh, you know, uh, strikeout totals, walk totals, like just, Oh, what's his ERA. That's how they evaluated pitchers back then. Like what's your ERA. And like, yeah, that's doesn't seem to play well, but yeah, that's it. That's why I think you have to go off of like, what can we do with him over the course of a normal off season? How much can we get back? Because I think the status quo is untenable. Yeah. But you could probably get him for two, $3 million. Yep. And if you're yep. on a really restricted payroll budget, sure. Throw him into the fire. Uh, it's worked for the white Sox the last few years, right? We talk about these $3 million contracts that, you don't think you're going to work out well for the White Sox and they work out better than expected. Uh, maybe that Dakota Hudson could be a target, uh, but I also had Kyle Lewis on my list. Not only is he not hitting, his defense is gone sideways, like just mm -hmm. taking a step back. I'm not sure if there's anything mentally that's just creating this type of block for him right now, but again, he won the American League MVP in the shortened season over Luis Robert in 2020. And he showed some power potential, but defensively fantastic range and just hasn't been the same player and has really struggled. So I'm not sure if the ties with Arizona, if maybe Josh Barfield sees something in Kyle Lewis that you do a non-roster spring training invite uh, to Glendale. And if he doesn't make the team, but he still wants to stay, maybe you sign him to a minor league contract to go play for the Charlotte Knights and he's center field depth in case of Luis Robert gets hurt. And hopefully he could prove that he can at least regain his defensive ability. So there's some type of positive attribute, but there's not much going on for Kyle Lewis. So uh, Brandon Woodruff's the one player that was non-tendered that was eye-opening. And maybe I think the White Sox should flirt with that idea. 
but for the rest of the other 62 players that are non-tendered, they were non-tendered for a reason. Either production has taken a step back, significant injuries or illness has caused issues. Uh, we'll see if the White Sox go bargain shopping, but that's the bargain shopping bin right now in free agency as all those players have been added to the free agency pool. But that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast as we kind of stand by now to see if we get any Dylan, Dylan Cease news this upcoming week. We also understand that it's Thanksgiving and Black Friday shopping as well. I really hope that breaking news doesn't happen over the holidays, but if it does, we'll do our best to cover it on SoxMachine.com. So thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. If you just discovered the Sox Machine podcast, you can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Spotify and Apple Music. We also upload our podcast episodes into our YouTube channel at YouTube.com slash Machine, and you can follow us on social media, whatever social media platform, at Machine. You can also follow me there at SoxMachine underscore Josh. I just posted a video on our Instagram and a YouTube short with my free agent predictions. And bam, like two hours later, Aaron Nola resigns with the Philadelphia Phillies. So I already look like an idiot. Yes, I see your comments. I know I look bad so far. But yeah, 0 for 1. There's still nine other predictions. We'll see how we do. But again, you can follow us there at Sox Machine. You can follow me at Sox Machine underscore Josh. If you enjoy our work, you can get more by becoming a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash Sox Machine. We're still trying to get a head count for the upcoming curling event in February. Any updates on that front, Jim? Yeah, I think we're going to do one more week of just having the forum open to get an idea of, you know, thank you to the uh, people who have already responded. And yeah, either w- whether you're interested in curling or not, or whether you just want to hang out and uh, watch people curl and laugh with us, like I said, uh, feel free to fill out the forum to get an idea for a headcount and then probably close up the forum after the uh, Thanksgiving weekend uh, and then uh, go back to Windy City Curling and say, here's what we got. Excellent. And we'll structure it from there and put tickets on sale. All right, excellent. So again, uh, that's a Patreon-only event. So if you're not a Patreon member and you're like, hey, I would like to hang out, I would like to curl, go sign up at patreon.com slash SoxMachine. Monthly plans start at $2, or you could save with an annual subscription. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com. You're on for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening and watching.